This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, we spend a lot of time, obviously, when the economy slows down, and we have, I was talking earlier with John Johnson, how it's sort of mixed at this point, some good news, some uh, bad news sort of sides of the sector, but talk about what could government do? Well, we just got a report yesterday, for example, that the government's going to loan more money to Bombardier, you know, so subsidies out there. We get to talk about whether the Bank of Canada is going to drop interest rates by a quarter percent or something like that. Well, I'll tell you, I can't think of anything that is more doable, and it's, you know, I know it's complicated. We're going to have to push a bit of a stone uphill, but could have a more positive impact than finally removing these intra-provincial trade barriers. I mean, we've been talking about it for 25 years. Well, I'm very pleased to have on the line with the University of Calgary, one of my favorite economists, Trevor Toome. Trevor, first of all, appreciate you taking time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, let's talk about this because, I mean, are we finally getting some progress here? Uh, maybe I should start with what are we talking? What's at stake here? I mean, how much money are we talking? If we could, you know, magically remove all interprovincial trade barriers, what are we talking about in terms of impact on the Canadian economy? Great question. And, and estimates vary, but the most recent one put out is by the International Monetary Fund, so the IMF. Um, I was part of a research team uh, with them, and we estimate that these barriers uh, that inhibit trade between provinces subtract from Canada's productivity on the order of about 4%, uh, which might not sound like much, but if we could tackle internal trade barriers and bring them down, Canada's economy would increase by about $80 billion per year. Wow. So that, that's large. That's nearly $6,000 per family, just for context, per year. Yeah, I mean, no, so that's obviously like the extreme gains, but it gives you a sense of scale. Well, it's also what I was saying is that we talk an awful lot about government intervention in the economy, and they say they're going to create jobs. They're going to say they're going to do this, that kind of thing. Costs us a lot of money. This, by the way, wouldn't cost us a cent. Just removing a, a regulation doesn't cost the Canadian public anything. They gain by it. And, uh, you know, then we are keep staring at this for 25 years. And that's off the top of my head. I just remembered 1995 when we had some sort of thing called the Agreement on Internal Trade that sort of talked about this. And then it was, what was it, two years ago, uh, 2017, again, uh, Canada had a free trade agreement, but there were so many exceptions to it still that sort of prevented the free movement of goods and services. So, yeah, I mean, this seems like, you know, if they're looking to boost the economy, $80 billion, that's a lot of money, 6000 per family, that's a lot of money. But why should we sort of believe them at this point? What's happened in this set of uh, sort of uh, provincial premier negotiations that maybe makes a difference? Well, before I answer that question directly, let me step back and give some context around what these barriers are. So yes, you mentioned please. that they're small regulatory differences. So if you're a business that wants to sell from one province to another, then you have to conform with rules and standards and certifications that might differ from one province to the next. A really silly example uh, is given by uh, first aid kits. Uh, work sites have first aid kits at them. And the rules around what's in the first aid kit differ from one province to the next. So there's 10 different kits of your Tim Hortons. You can imagine this adds to your business costs. So provinces have agreed after the better part of two years of negotiations around what goes into a standard first aid kit. And that'll save businesses about $3 million per year. So you've got to multiply that by tens of thousands to get a sense of the scale of the challenge. 
So what's changed? What happened yesterday um, by Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney in particular, was that he announced unilateral moves that Alberta will just be dropping its barriers and won't try to uh, make that contingent on moves by other provinces. So we eliminated instantly half our exemptions lifted in the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, and they're looking to eliminate the remaining exemptions as well. And he announced other initiatives for unilateral reductions by Alberta rather than negotiation. So I think that's a real game changer. It is, especially when they step forward. And I, and again, one of the things that's been fascinating, uh, you know, Trevor, I've thanked Donald Trump for bringing protectionism to the forefront. That, you know, for years we had, uh, I, I think, an ill-informed discussion. People said, what does it mean to me? Well, he's, by showing us the negative of protectionism, sort of makes this a more pertinent topic, uh, a more pressing topic. And I loved your example, by the way. And, and I wouldn't mind a couple more because when he's saying that he's going to remove some of these barriers unilaterally, he's not looking, he's hoping by leadership he'll get a quid pro quo, but he wasn't saying, I'll do this if you do that. No, I'm just going to do it. Right. We've, we've spent, as you noted, the better part of a quarter century now engaging in these kind of negotiations where we reach these deals. And, and these deals aren't nothing. They do, have, they do have an effect, but they only take a small bite out of the problem. And so instead of trying to get leverage over other provinces by holding our bargaining chips close, what we need is leadership uh, just to show that it's possible to liberalize. And if Alberta can show that, others will hopefully follow. Here's another big example that um, Kenny mentioned as well are things like professional standards and certifications and credentials. It's difficult sometimes for a lawyer to offer legal services to clients in another province or an accountant to do the same. And Kenny and the premiers, all of them, agreed yesterday to look at mutually recognizing everyone's certification. So if you're good to go in Ontario, then you're good to go in PEI and BC, all down the list. But then Alberta announced that if they can't reach a deal nationally on mutual recognition, then Alberta is just going to go ahead and open its market regardless. Uh, what about the benefit to Alberta in that? A lot of people, for example, I remember, I can't remember off the top of my head, it was about two years ago, I read a study, I think it was from the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, but about just removing all our trade barriers, international ones too, that we would still be the beneficiary. I mean, obviously yeah. goods would come in, they'd be less expensive to us as consumers, which is always good things. Uh, efficiency in business, as you've just described there. Uh, you know, so one of the things that might get lost here is that by, by doing this, Alberta itself will get a boost. Absolutely. And economists are fond of pointing this out, that the gains from trade are really about imports. They're about lowering prices, easing the regulatory burden on businesses here to increase productivity. The challenge in in public discussions on trade is that the visible benefits are the firm here selling elsewhere. So we put a lot of focus on exports and really, in my view, too heavily discount the benefits of having lower priced goods for consumers and also lower-priced inputs for businesses. So if we unilaterally lower barriers, then we get those benefits on the consumption side. And that's, that's, that's most of the gains right there. The modeling uh, that, that I've done for the IMF suggests that if a single province unilaterally liberalizes on its own, it can achieve about 60% of the total available gains from everyone liberalizing together. It really shows how protectionists have held sway on this. I mean, you look even in the States with Donald Trump's protectionist moves, whether it's China, whether it was our aluminum and steel, our softwood lumber into Europe, uh, they've really done a, 
uh, it's, they've talked about the wrong thing, but they've done a good job selling the wrong thing that somehow consumers are okay with this and they shouldn't be. Uh, one of the other ones that jumps out at me that I think we've made progress on, but do you remember when they couldn't take a, you know, a case of beer from one province to the next? That is still an issue, and oh, that went is. all okay. the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's an example. I mean, it's just inefficient. Uh, as you say, it's better for consumers to have more choice, and yeah, more choice, but better pricing a lot of times. And that's why I'm optimistic. When I heard this, I thought, this should be top, front and center of every newscast in the country. And it wasn't, because I think it's misunderstood. Yeah, and I think that's because the costs and the consequences of this aren't something that's visible in our day-to-day lives. I mean, it's one thing for me to say that we could boost the economy by 4%, and that could mean thousands of dollars for the average family. But concretely, it's hard for me to walk into a store and point to a product and say, oh, this product costs 10 cents more because of trade barriers, right? That isn't really possible. So it's hard to see and make salient and concrete those costs which makes protectionism a lot easier. Yeah, and a lot easier for the manipulation of those industries that are getting protected because they get a direct value. They've got a lot in it right on the line at the moment. Like, you know, for example, the aluminum and steel companies in the States, oh, they love those tariffs. But everyone who uses steel in manufacturing doesn't love it. And, of course, the higher cost gets passed on to consumers. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah, so it's a tough thing. Well, I'm I'm optimistic on this one. I I agree. I think we've made progress, and I wish uh, more people understood it. Thank you for helping that understanding, Trevor. I really appreciate you finding time for us. My pleasure, anytime. And let me just tell you, I, Trevor is one of the people, Trevor, and I've spent his, uh, you know, one of the people that I'm always looking for on Twitter because he does such a great job of preventing, uh, rather, presenting information. 